Welcome to Beyond the Silo, grain marketing tips for growers. During our deep dive into grain trading, we've pulled apart everything from markets to pricing through to when to sell. Gluing all of this together is the contract, that legally enforceable agreement where the grower agrees to sell a certain quantity and quality of grain at a specific time and location and the buyer agrees to pay a certain amount for that grain under certain payment conditions. To discuss what you should consider before entering into a grain contract, I'm joined in the Grain Producers SA studio by independent agricultural consultant, Jonathan Wilson. Hi, Drew. Jonathan, right back in episode one, we talked about one of the partners in this particular series was Grain Trade Australia. They set out some fairly basic principles for grain trading. I imagine that's actually quite useful for growers. I think it's very useful for growers, and I would encourage growers when they've got a chance to go onto their website at graintrade.org.au, and you can see quite a lot of things that are about contracts and we're going to base a lot of the things we talk about on some of the work you can find at that grain trade website things like the guide to taking out grain contracts for growers and the different contract types that exist so most of the trade will refer to grain trade australia rules in their grower contracts not not all and that's going to be something we'll talk about that's really important to look for but if it refers to Grain Trade Australia contracts, then you've got a, a level of comfort in that you know the rules that are involved with. So Grain Trade Australia are a very important organisation in the industry and they've got some fantastic resources there at that website that's certainly worth checking out if you're interested in contracts. Jonathan, when people think about contracts, they usually think about signing on the dotted line, which is at the end of a wad of documents. But a contract can be many other things, can't it? Yeah, look, in simple terms, a contract is a, a legally enforceable agreement. Look, in this general context, we talk about a grower agreeing to sell a certain quantity and quality of grain at a certain time and location, and the buyer agrees a certain amount for that grain under certain payment terms. A contract can be written. It can be verbal, it can be both, it can be by SMS, you can do it on a website. And contracts we do all the time, just we don't necessarily think about it. You, know, you go into the local pub and you order a schnitzel, you're actually entering into a contract there. You're agreeing to pay for a good schnitzel that's going to be delivered to you and you're going to consume it. So you're actually entering into a contract there. You don't have to sign at the end of 14 pages to buy that schnitzel. So the contract's can be verbal and there are certain things that actually make up a contract and those are things like you have to be legally able to enter the contract there must be an offer and an acceptance there must be consideration which is mainly money but you know whenever I'm doing contracts with my kids it might be tidy your room and I'll take you out to the movies and there must be an intent to enter a contract and that's indicated by the terms and conditions you don't have to sign it But as long as it meets those elements, you've got a contract. This may seem like a really obvious one, Jonathan, but legally able to enter into that contract, I'd assume that that means, well, don't let your 17-and-a-half-year-old run off and make an agreement with somebody. That would seem pretty obvious. But that may also mean, are you of clear mind to be able to enter into that contract as well, I'd imagine. Most trading companies will ask, are you legally able to enter into this contract? So have you got the ability to enter into a contract on behalf of that registered grower and if someone is not able to enter into a contract then they can't you can't enter that contract for whatever reason actually it's a really interesting question around you know whether someone has got the mental capacity to be able to do that because you know they've got the mental capacity to call the number and say i want to sell 
you know, thousand tons of grain at this price and negotiate and enter into the contract in that way, you would assume they've got that mental capacity. But you know, we've had experiences in the past where growers have called up when everything's gone pear-shaped, when they're out of the money and they don't like the contract and said, oh, I'm, I've been under stress, so I'm not entering that contract. But until that point, they had every intention of honouring it. So they've still got a legal obligation, I guess. It's a really complicated piece, isn't it? Yes, it is complicated. Jonathan, I'm not sure what the legal implications are, but say you got into a casual conversation with someone down at the pub and you've agreed to sell a few tonnes of grain under intoxication or incapacitation, that would affect the sale as well, wouldn't it? You would have thought so. I would hope that you're not going to be down the pub <laughs> and drinking a few beers and then selling 100 tonnes of grain to the no. uh, to the barman. That might be um, something you might want to think about twice. But if that's the, uh, the normal course of action for your business, I'm guessing you're not going to get much out of these podcasts. <laughs> no, probably not at all. The next question I have is almost how long is a piece of string, but I'm guessing there must be some broad brushstrokes in terms of what details should there be in a contract? Yeah. You know, they're very simple things. First of all, if you look at what you have to do as the grower, when will you transfer the grain? Where will you transfer the grain? What quality of grain are you going to transfer? And what quantity of grain are you going to transfer? So that might be looking at the spreads when you're looking at the quality. It might be around the tonnage and the tolerances whenever you're looking at the quantity. Then you look at what the buyer has to do. What price are they going to pay? Who's paying the fees and the charges, if there are any related to it? And what are the payment terms? And then the third element is, what happens if everything goes pear-shaped? What are the default procedures and what's the dispute mechanism? Those are the kind of three broad brush things to look at. What you have to do, what they have to do, and what happens if it all goes Carlton. I'll leave the footy out of it, Jonathan, but what other things should you consider before entering into a contract? Look, I think things that are really important is thinking about the counterparty risk. You know, I've spoken to a few growers around these topics and say, what's the thing that's most important for you? And they say, I want to know if I'm going to get paid. A contract is really only as good as the person who writes it, you know, and specifically the legal entity that writes it. So Jimmy might be a great guy, but he might work for Dodgy Brothers Trading Company. And so you want to understand, well, who are you entering the contract with? You're entering it with the company, not the individual. So you need to think about, am I going to get paid? Do I trust the counterparty? Have they performed with you in the past? How have they treated you if things have gone badly or if you haven't been able to produce the grain? How have they treated other growers that you know? How much overall exposure do you want to that particular company? And at a general level, what does your gut say? If a price is too good to be true, there's probably a reason for it. There's an interesting one you said there in terms of what level of overall exposure mm. do you want to have to a company. I'd imagine there's lots of producers that deal with just one company, but they'd be very confident in the bona fides of that entity. Yeah, For sure, there's probably growers who would sell the vast majority to a single entity, and that's perfectly fair. As long as you're comfortable that that entity is going to be able to perform it's just one thing to consider is that if you're if you've got all of your sales with one company and something happens to them what's going to happen when we talk about contracts the vast majority of contracts from a grain point of view are executed with little or no problem so we're only really talking about where there's a problem in a huge minority of the contracts but you know it's not much fun when you're the one in that minority of the contracts so you just don't want to be too exposed to any individual company. Or if you are going to be exposed to an individual company, you want to be really confident that they're going to perform each and every time. 
We started this out talking about Grain Trade Australia and a number of their rules. Rule 14, it's a fairly important one to look for. What is it and why? So if you look at the Grain Trade Australia terms and conditions, we'll talk about a number of the different rules that are embedded in those terms and conditions. Rule 14 is around the change of ownership of the grain. And so you're looking at where does title from grain change between you as the grower as a, a general rule, if you look at Rule 14, it says if you're doing a FOB, so on the ship, which you're not going to do probably, but if you're doing an ex-farm or an ex-store contract, the title transfers on loading of that grain onto the truck. If you're doing a delivered contract, the title transfers on presentation for unloading. And if you're doing a contract for a transfer of grain in store, then that title of grain changes at time of transfer. So in each of those cases, the payment occurs later. So there's a period of time where you're waiting for them to perform. So one thing to look for is the sooner the money hits your bank account, the better. So keep an eye out for it. One thing when I was preparing for this I came across was keep your own records. Don't trust the organisation entirely. Make sure that you've got your own version. Why why is that? I thought with everything being so computer-driven that that would be less of a need. My dad used to say that the faintest pen is better than the strongest memory. And so having your own record of the transactions is going to be really important. It's going to be important, one, to keep a track of all of your commitments and the number of times we've come across growers who have forgotten they've had a contract and it's run out of time and you know, you're chasing them up for it. No, I didn't know I had that one. And they haven't written it down. So you know it sounds ridiculous, but it happens more often than you'd think. Another reason is that Having a record, your own record of events and conversations and contracts could become really important whenever you enter a contract and something goes wrong. So having that record is something that you don't ever want to have to go back to, but at least you've got it. The takeaway I'm getting from here is get organised. Keep a record, have a system. Oh, look, for sure. I mean, I had it drummed into me as a young trader in the, in the industry is that you have a day book and you record everything in that day book. I've had those day books taken off to lawyers for uh, for different legal events, but having it there, you can actually refer to events and conversations and having more information beats having less information at every point. Jonathan, contracts are really complex. Any quick takeaway points you want to leave listeners with? It's really important to remember that the whole point of entering a contract is to protect everyone involved, and that's protect the trader, the buyer. It's also to protect the grower. So, And the vast majority of these contracts are executed without much problem at all. And the vast majority of buyers are trying to do the right thing. And the vast majority of growers are trying to do the right thing too. And and remember, the contract is there to protect everyone. But the more organised you are, the better off you're going to be. Jonathan Wilson, thank you very much for joining me in the GPSA studio to start pulling apart contracts. Thanks, Drew. The information presented in this podcast is general in nature only and does not constitute legal, financial or investment advice. Listeners should seek professional advice relevant to their individual circumstances before making any decisions. While every effort has been made to ensure the information in this podcast is correct at the time of publication, we do not warrant, guarantee or accept any liability arising from its accuracy, reliability or completeness.